So I'm going to read a quote to you and see how it lands. This is from the third century theologian, theologian Cyprian. You cannot have God for your father if you do not have the church for your mother. How does that statement land? Now, some of you, you may be thinking, wow, that is a really strong statement. And if you know anything about Cyprian, yes, he was part of the Roman Catholic tradition. And so if you have come out of that tradition, if you've been a part of that tradition, that might ring in your ears like I've heard stuff like that before. For, for some of us, we might buck against that idea because it sounds as if the only way for me to be a Christian is if I am a part of a church, if I'm a member of a church. And so my salvation is dependent upon being part of a church. For those of you here that wouldn't profess faith in Christ, maybe this sounds like typical Christian arrogance. But wherever you land on this statement, I think we have to take a step back and recognize that behind Cyprian's statement is a strong connection between the life of a Christian, a life of one who would follow Christ, and being part of the local church. You see, throughout the past 2,000 years, there has been an interplay between what does it mean to follow Christ as an individual and what does it mean to be a part of a church. And for those of us that are in the evangelical tradition, we highlight and we emphasize a lot about having a personal relationship with Christ, which is good, but sometimes we can de-emphasize and actually minimize what it means to be a part of a local church. So I want to be very clear that you can be a Christian apart from being a member of a local church. I want to make that very clear. However, when we don't see the church as absolutely essential to our identity as Christians, statements like this can sound really, really harsh rather than catching the intent and the point of what Cyprian was saying. See, we live in a society where the fastest growing religious demographic are the nuns, those who claim belief in God and claim to be spiritual but don't affiliate with any organized religious group, so they have no affiliation. For the nuns, affiliation with a group, let alone a church, isn't necessary to exercising spiritual life. And for a lot of us in the church, a lot of us Christians, we can have the same attitude where we think what's vital to me is my relationship with Jesus, what I do in my personal time with Jesus, and disconnect our walk with the Lord from being a part of the local church. So we're in the middle, the second week of a short three-week series on our core value of community. And what we want to hold out as a value at First City Church is we prioritize community because we believe that Scripture teaches that just as your identity as a child of God is the defining thing of, of all of your identities, the church is the, the defining community that shapes your identity. So here, let me phrase it a little bit differently. You cannot understand your identity as a child of God apart from understanding your identity as a part of the church. You cannot understand your identity as a disciple of Christ apart from understanding your identity and living out your life in the church. So last week, we began our series by reflecting on who we are as the people of God, our collective identity, who has God called us to be. And this morning, I'm going to press a little harder 
<laughs> I'm, I'm going to push a little deeper on us and reflect on this truth. You need the church. You need the church. For those of you who follow Christ, those of you who want to know Christ, you need the church. Next week, Pastor Paul is going to talk about the church needs you. So there's two sides to this coin. You need the church, the church needs you. But this morning, we're going to listen to and reflect on God's word and what it says about us needing the church. So three points for us this morning as we reflect on this passage from Ephesians. The centrality of the church in discipleship, the first point. Second point is the challenge of discipleship in the church. And then three, the hope for discipleship in the church. Before we jump in, I want to do the same thing I did last week and just express my hope for this sermon in this series by addressing a couple people, different groups of people in the room. First, members of First City Church. Our core value is community, but it is very easy for us to sort of just hat tip it. It's very easy for us to, to just use that word as a catchphrase and not really connect deeply with our hearts and impact the way that we're living our lives as believers. And so we need to regularly come back to this and be refreshed and challenged in what God has called us to as those who are part of his church. Also, living in community is messy and it's hard and we get in the weeds and we start to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? And so we need to lift our gaze to the glory of what God is doing, what Christ has done, the purpose of God in the church so we can be refreshed and renewed and encouraged and enter into community more deeply. For those of you that are exploring church membership here at First City, this is us holding out saying, hey, here's what we believe. Here's all of our cards on the table. This is what we embrace as a church. And if God is calling you to this church community as a member, we want you to embrace this as well. It may be that God is calling you here. It may be that he's calling you to another local church. But my hope this morning is that you would be challenged and encouraged to be all in at a local church community, whether it's this one or another. For those of you that have been around for a while and you're dragging your feet, <laughs> like you don't need any more information. You know whether or not this is the church for you or not. I want to lovingly challenge and push you and say, hey, be all in. Stop dating the church and commit to the church. And finally, for those of you that are experiencing some pain, maybe you have been hurt by the church and you're slowly stepping back into community. A sermon like this can, can sound pretty heavy-handed. A sermon like this can maybe even reopen some wounds potentially. And no, under, understand that my, my heart and my hope for you is not to condemn you. It's not to, to kick you while you're down. In fact, I want to help you heal. Here's how. I want you to see what God intends for community. Like, I don't want your view of community to be defined by what broken men and women have done to you and the way that they've abused community. I want the word of God to define this for you. I want the word of God to bring healing by lifting your gaze to what Christ is doing and what Christ has done. So by the spirit of God and by his word, we'll accomplish that this morning and accomplish that in this series. So let's first turn to the centrality of the church in discipleship. And, and let me just quick summarize what we talked about last week, because if we're going to talk about the centrality of the church in discipleship, we first have to remember and reflect on the fact that the church is central to God's purposes in redemption. You see, in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament, Scripture is very clear that God's purpose in salvation has been to save a people. 
And when God saves you, he doesn't save a bunch of lone ranger Christians out just doing their own thing. When he brings you, when he saves you, God doesn't save you to be a spiritually only child, so to speak. No, he saves you into a family, into a people. You being united to Christ means by nature you are united to others who are in Christ, brothers and sisters. And so God saves us into a family, he saves us into a people. This is what Christ accomplished. This is God's plan. And that the church is central to the purposes of God's plan of redemption means that the church is also central to our discipleship. It's central to God's purpose for our discipleship. You see, when God unites you to a new community, he has structured and equipped and empowered this community for the purpose of growing you in Christ. This is the point in Ephesians 4. And so as the Apostle Paul writes in verses 11 through 14, and he, meaning Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So here is how God has structured his church. He gives leaders with particular gifting to serve in particular roles, to teach and equip the church, to teach and equip all of us so that we all together do the work of the ministry. So there's this wonderful interplay that is taking place. All of us together, leaders and members together in the church, teaching, equipping, doing the work of ministry, discipling one another. It's an entire community involvement. It's not just one group of people. It's everybody together playing the role that God has called them to do. And in the midst of that, what is being accomplished? What is the goal of that structure and that interplay? Well, what does this passage say? It says building up, that is strengthening and growing the body of Christ. to unity of the faith, so that we're all unified around Jesus, not our preferences. Three, growth in knowledge of the Son of God. Again, we're growing and knowing who God is and experiencing him. Four, maturity, which is defined by being more and more fully like Christ. The the image that Paul is using there is as as us growing up physically, the full uh, nurture of Christ, the full stature of Christ. It's like, you know, you physically grow up into your stature. Maturity is physically, spiritually speaking, excuse me, growing up like Christ. And then five, theological soundness, where we're certain and sure of what we believe rooted in the, in the scriptures and we're not tossed around by the latest and greatest theological and philosophical fads. See, the structure of the church community, which Paul, Pastor Paul is going to talk about more next week, is designed to make us healthy, to mature us as followers of Jesus, as those who know and love and worship God deeply. The structure God has created is for that purpose, and it involves all of us together in community. In verses 15 and 16, Paul restates his point. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from which the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. See, Christ is the center and the head of the community. And we grow up into him. We grow more deeply connected to him and more deeply connected to one another 
as we love and we serve in community. So how does God intend that we be taught and equipped for the work of ministry, the local church? How does God intend that we grow up into Christ, grow in maturity in our faith in the local church? How does God intend that we grow in our thinking theologically and grow in our unity and grow in our love for one another and service to one another in the local church? This is the structure that God has given. It's an important word at the beginning of that passage. God has given us this structure, given us this family, given us this community. He's given it to you so that you can grow as a disciple. You need the church. And that God has given us a community for our growth makes sense. Just if you just observe the way that we're wired and the way that the world works, both physically and spiritually, it makes sense that we need one another. So to use an illustration that some of you have heard me use before, let's say as a New Year's resolution, I want to return to the glory days of high school and college when I played basketball. I want to get back to being that guy. As, as much of a pipe dream as that is, I'm going to set that as my goal for my New Year's resolution, so I am going to try to work to become the best basketball player that I can be. Here's my plan. I'm going to go down to the park behind my neighborhood and shoot hoops by myself every day. I, I'm just going to go down there, and I'm going to shoot hoops. I'm going to get out there, and man, I'm just going to get my jumper down. I'm going to get my free throws, get my three-point shot. I'm just going to be hitting shots all afternoon. And in my mind, I'm going to be playing against people, but no one else is there. It's just me. But in my mind, man, I'm crossing cats over. I'm stepping back, hitting a three. I am, I am killing it by myself. What happens if I go and jump into a game with other people? How am I going to do? Not so well. Why? Because all I've been doing is playing by myself, shooting shots by myself. And basketball is not a solo sport. I don't get better at basketball just shooting by myself. There's so many other aspects of the game that involve other people. In fact, you could even say, I wasn't even playing basketball. I was doing something basketball-related, but the game of basketball actually requires me to be doing it with other people. I'm never going to be as good if I'm just practicing by myself. I'm never going to get back to the glory days if I'm practicing by myself. It's similar with us in the church. Look, you're never going to be as mature if it's just you by yourself. You're never going to be as loving. You're never going to be as kind. You're never going to be as patient. You're going to never be as generous and self-sacrificial without other people. Or let, me, let me frame it this way. Men, you're never going to learn how to use your strengths your power, your productivity to disciple others and raise them and build them up in Christ like you were if you would be in community. You're never going to learn what it looks to walk in purity and humility and holiness and godliness apart from the church. Ladies, you're never going to learn what it means, as Scripture says, to adorn yourself with good works to the degree that you're called to apart from the church. You're never going to be able to use your relational strength to build up others in Christ. You're never going to be as kind and as patient and as humble and as hospitable in all the things that God calls you to be as women apart from the church. We need the church. We need each other to grow up into maturity. Now, this doesn't mean that the church is exclusively 
where discipleship takes place. I want to be clear about that. This isn't exclusively where it takes place, but it is primary. Like there are other great contexts where we are discipled, family being right up there. And there are other contexts, other friendship groups that you have, maybe even in your job or other group contexts where you're going to experience discipleship. But that never is meant to replace the church. And also, those contexts, no matter how good they are, are never going to equip you and strengthen you and mature you to the degree that the local church will. And so we celebrate and we support and we get behind these other contexts. But we never miss that God has given the church to be the central context for our discipleship. And so the church is central to our discipleship. Now, the challenge of discipleship in the church. We say that the church is central, but there is an incredible challenge. Look, I can lay out for you in scripture, I can cast vision for you about the purposes of God in the church and and for you to grow in, in your maturity as a disciple. You can even assent to the truth in your mind, but we regularly bump into the disconnect. We, we, we bump into what we believe to be true and our actual experience. Now, some of you, I just want to be clear, you, you take a step back and you, you keep community at arm's length because of pride. Like, you don't think you need other people. You think you got this on your own. But for most of us, it probably has more to do with fear. And I'd even say for those of you that are more prideful, pride is often a cover for fear. But for most of us, it's fear. You see, we can actually be optimistic about the church, and maybe you have been optimistic about the church, but then reality mugged your optimism, and now you're in a place of despair about the church. And so we're fearful. And you know what? Look, being in the church is hard. Being in the church is difficult because whenever you go from singular to plural, things get more messy. Things get more difficult. Relationships would be easy if it weren't for other people, right? And so when God calls us together as community, it gets complicated. It gets messy. It gets painful. And let's just be honest about it. Living in community is hard. And that's often why we reduce participation in community to just showing up to meetings. But in being honest, we also have to to sort of face the reality of the challenge. Let me tell you why community in the church is always going to be hard. It's always going to be hard. Well, first, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And so we all bring pride. We all bring brokenness. We all bring pain. We all bring weakness to the mix. Can't escape it. But second, the church is intended to be a complex gathering of people. By nature, the church is intended to be made up of people from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. The church is intended to be made up of people from different generations, young and old, different economic classes, rich and poor, and everywhere in between, different education levels, married and single, couples with kids, couples without kids, Republicans and Democrats, homeschool families, public school families, vegan and people who wrap their steaks in bacon. (laughs) We are meant to be a complex diverse group of people. And when you put those types of people together, when you put differences together, that gets messy and that gets hard. Amen? 
And so this is going to be challenging just by nature of who the church is called to be. And here's the other aspect of this. This diversity isn't to be squashed. We're not supposed to smash diversity and make everybody become like everybody else. Everyone isn't supposed to change into something else to be a part of this community. All the poor people aren't expected to be rich. All the singles aren't expected to get married. Everyone isn't supposed to be college educated. Everyone isn't supposed to be culturally American. And not everyone is supposed to vote Republican and eat meat. So we don't squash differences. We embrace them. We celebrate them. We let the gospel unify us in the midst of those differences. And that is inviting challenge. That is inviting complexity. And so when we embrace it, it gets messy. And it is a lot easier to be around those who are more like you. A lot easier to love those of the same culture and same education level and same marital status. And that is why we tend to flock to people who are like us. Now look, there, there's nothing wrong with shared experience and shared state of life and finding people who are like you. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you become exclusive, when you want to build an entire community around likeness in that way, then we miss what God has called us to. We miss what the church is to be. And on top of that, because we are sinners, uh, we're going to be tempted to be inwardly focused and prideful. We're going to be tempted to demand our preferences be honored. We're going to struggle to sacrifice and lay down our lives and bear with one another and be patient with one another and forgive one another. And because we're sinners, we're going to offend and hurt one another. Like if you're in the church, you're going to be sinned against. You can't escape it. We are going to sin against one another. If you haven't been sinned against, you're probably playing it too safe. Here's another thing. Have you considered that a church that is, has grace as its culture, that has grace at the center, is going to invite people to be more open about their sin? They're not going to hide it anymore. They're actually going to be open, and that sin is going to spill out and make a mess of things and so if we're a, a grace-centered culture, if we're a gospel-centered culture, we're actually, again, going to invite mess because people are going to dump it out on us and ask us to walk with them in it. All of these things add to the challenge of discipleship in the church. Complex, messy, hard, and painful. Now look, I'm not trying to minimize, I'm not trying to minimize painful experiences you've had. I'm not trying to minimize toxic environments that you've been in. Like there are some churches that are so toxic that you need to leave because men have twisted leadership and used it for their own agendas. I'm not trying to minimize that. In fact, hey, I can relate. Like I've been on the other end of an unjust excommunication from a church. 17 years old, my mom, who was a single mom, me and my younger brother got kicked out of a church because we dared ask some questions. So I can, I, I, we can sit down and compare some scars. I, I can relate to that pain. And, and that, that, has, that deeply affected me. It made me scared of the church for a long time. So I can relate and I can understand. But we have to be honest. We cannot escape pain. We cannot escape complexity. We cannot escape sin. The challenge is going to be there. Look, when, when Paul tells the Ephesian church in, another part of, uh, in, in the book of Ephesians, to be patient with one another, to bear with one another in love, to be kind, to be tender-hearted, to forgive one another. And this is God's inspired word, being honest about expectation, laying out for us like, hey, this is what it's going to take. This is what it's going to be like. 
And so we should have a ton of patience and compassion for one another. We should, we should be able to be humble about the brokenness in, in this church. Like by God's grace, First City, we, we're, we're at a place of health, but we're not perfect. And there, there are messes, and there is brokenness, and there is pain, and there is weakness. And so we should be humble about that. But we should also recognize that's not going to magically disappear until Christ returns. It's not going to... We're not, we're not going to be able to eradicate that. There is a challenge to living in community that we must embrace, that we must expect. But at the same time, we have hope. We have hope for discipleship in the church. So what is our hope? Like We need the church, but what gives us hope to keep committing to community? What keeps keep running and not running from, running to and not running from community? And we need hope. We need hopeful hearts because what I don't want is for us to see in Scripture what God has called us to, to be in community, you, you to sort of say, I know I need the church, and then just grit your teeth and white-knuckle it. That's not the way to live in community. We need hope. We need hope in the midst of the challenge, hope in the midst of the pain and the complexity. And so what I want us to see is that when the purposes of God and the church collide with our sin and our brokenness and our mess, what's not produced is despair, but hope. So what gives us hope? Well, one, we have hope because of the love of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Though community is painful, though community is challenging and messy, may we never lose sight that Christ passionately loves his church. He loves you. He loves us together. And that, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, the Holy Spirit himself dwells among us, dwells in us. We are the temple of God. God loves his church. Christ loves his church, and the Spirit is empowering us. We have hope because Christ is at work within the structure of the church. He's at work within the mess and the pain and the sin, and he's transforming us into something beautiful. In his book, The Four Loves, this is what C.S. Lewis writes about the church. For the church has not beauty, but what the bridegroom gives her. He dares not find it, or he does not find it, but makes her lovely. Christ sees in the flawed, proud, fanatical, or lukewarm church on on earth the bride who will one day be without spot or wrinkle in labors to produce the latter. Look, Christ doesn't love you. He doesn't love me. He doesn't love us because We're a perfect community because we are beautiful in and of ourselves and that we perform so well. No, Christ loves us in the midst of our sin and our brokenness. He loves us so much that he's transforming us into something. He he purchased us with his own blood and he is purifying and transforming us and changing us into something beautiful. That's our hope. Oh, I love the words of the old hymn. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. This is how much Christ loves his church. This is how much Christ loves you. He loves us. He paid for us with his own blood. He laid down his own life for us. And by his power, he's changing and transforming us. Do you know that Christ is relentlessly committed to you? 
relentlessly committed to his church. He will not give up on you. He will not give up on us. His work is ongoing and he will complete it. That's our hope. That's the power that God is working in this structure. That's the power that God is working in this flawed and broken and messy community. Oh, take hope in the church. Take hope in this structure because God's spirit is at work and Christ loves you and loves us. Also, consider that the power of Christ works through the very complexity of the church. As I said, if the church was made up of everyone who was like us, wouldn't it be much easier? Because if everybody was like us, I'd only have to forgive a little bit. I'd only have to be a little generous. I'd only have to be a little patient, a little kind. Like if everybody was like us, the level of our maturity is going to be like an inch deep. But when it's complex, when people aren't like you, when people push your buttons, oh, then true maturity takes place. You see, complexity brings maturity. Like some of you, you want to say the complexity actually makes things harder and it actually kind of provokes you to sin. It's like if the church weren't so complex, I wouldn't be such a sinner. But the opposite is true. If the church weren't so complex, there would be no opportunity for you to be so mature. Let me, let me return to my illustration about playing basketball. Let's say I realize I can't play by myself and get better. So I go and I find a group of people. I go handpick my crew. And I'm going to play with this group of people. And I decide, you know, I'm going to pick who I want to play with. And so some guys, maybe they're a little bit better than me. Some guys are about my level. And some guys maybe a little bit not as good as me because I, I have to look good sometimes. But all of them are going to play the game the way I want them to play. Like I want to create a crew that's going to make this beneficial to me, and it's going to work for me. And so while we may be in different places at skill level, we're all playing the same way. We're all getting along about how we should play. Like, I could grow somewhat. Like, I got, it's better than not being around anybody. But contrast that with me actually jumping into a league where I can't control who's there. I can't control who's on my team and who I'm playing against. And so I have to play against guys who are way better than me. And then I also have to play with a guy on my team, the 5'6 dude who thinks he's Steph Curry pulling up from half court. And so my maturity is not just about, hey, I'm playing against guys who are better than me. I'm also having to learn how to be patient with the guy who's terrible and has no idea he's terrible. And so when we are in a community that we cannot control, when we cannot order who we're around, well, then we really grow. We really experience true maturity. We, we, we learn what it means to be encouraged and challenged by those who are further down the road than us and are more mature than us. But we also learn what it means to be patient and lovingly disciple those who God has called us to disciple. And so when I can't control my community and when that community is complex, man, then I'm really going to experience deep, deep maturity. That is how God has structured and ordered his church. That is what God has called us to. And so we need the complexity of the church. God designed it. God gave us this wonderful, messy, complex family and says, you need this family, but take hope because I am at work in it, doing something powerful in you. We can also say this, that the disappointment that you can feel with community, that the people will let you down, also points you to the truth that even though you need community, community is not your savior. Like sometimes we can put so much hope in a community 
that we expect the community to save us instead of Christ. Christ has given you a community, but he doesn't say this is a substitute savior. I'm still your savior. I'm still your hope. And so sometimes a healthy dose of disappointment is good for us to remind us, hey, my brother and sister, they're human. They're not my hope. This community, I know I'm called to it, and I know I'm called to be a part of it, and it's going to disappoint me, and that reminds me my hope is actually in Christ. My hope is in the power that he is working. My hope is not in the perfection of this community. It's in Christ. And so to walk that tension of both recognizing you need community, but then being able to also not let community become your savior, that's a tough tension. That requires a lot of faith. That requires a lot of maturity. There's the point, that we walk in maturity. And so this complexity is good. And so let me encourage you, if you find yourself cynical about the church community, if, you fo- if your focus tends to be on the sin and the failures of the church, then lift your eyes to what Christ is doing. Lift your eyes to the beauty of the Spirit at work. See God transforming. See God at work changing men who used to be enslaved to lust and anger and to men who walk in holiness and humility, who use their strength and their power for godliness. Women who were fearful, women who were given over to levels of anxiety or women who were given over to gossip, now walking in holiness and maturity, trusting in the Lord. People who were smashed and broken by circumstances, being welcomed in and loved. People who were cast out and ostracized, being embraced with grace and truth and mercy. I'll see the beautiful and wonderful diversity in the church. People that are young and old, single and married, with kids, without kids, from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, people of different education levels, people who vote differently and eat differently and educate their kids differently, all loving and embracing one another and God using one another to grow in maturity. Lift your eyes to see what Christ is doing. See the beauty and the power. It's so easy to focus on the sin. Look, I'm a pastor. Like every day is a temptation for me to go, man, look at all the mess and feel overwhelmed by it. And God lovingly reminds me, no, you need to see what I'm up to. You need to see the power and the beauty that's going on in the church and put our hope there. And so let us lift our gaze. Let us lift our gaze to what Christ is doing. Now, some of you, you may have the impression that you're too sinful to be a part of the church. And so you're keeping your distance. You think, I'm too broken, I'm too messy. Well, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus saves messy broken, shameful sinners like you and me. And let me let you in a little secret. We're all sinful. We're all broken. Some of us hide it better than others. That's it. And so you're in a good place. You're in the right place because this is the place where the grace of God will meet you, where the power of God will transform you. And so you're not too sinful to be a part of this church. Conversely, some of you you're hiding your sin. You think God loves you and accepts you because of your performance. And so you're managing your sin. You're, 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 you think, man, if I can just do my spiritual disciplines and kind of manage the, the amount of sin that people see, I'll be loved and I'll be accepted and I'll be good. And, and so you, you keep people at arm's distance because you think, everything is in, is, is, you think everything is entirely up to you. And that is a heavy burden. 
And so what happens is, is that when someone tries to lean in and maybe ask and probe and prod, you step back and push people away because you don't want to know what, you don't want people to know what's in your heart and what you're actually hiding and how you are really a mess and you need help. Look, you don't need to perform. You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to have it all together here. You don't need to think that people are going to love you and accept you based on your performance. No, drop the act. Repent and turn from your pride. Drop the act. Be open, be honest, and allow the grace of God, allow God's community to embrace you and love you, and you can experience transformation. And so church, in conclusion, I want to make a couple points of application here. The church is central to our discipleship, and while we will face challenges in community, we have hope. And so what does that mean? Three points of application. One, join the church. First, if you do not believe in Christ, believe in Jesus. Be brought into the family of God. Find in Christ your salvation and be part of God's kingdom. And if you are already a part of God's kingdom, then find a local church and join it. Be, Be part of a church, be part of a community where God can transform you. Second, love the church. Don't don't just show up and kind of look at the church and go, okay, I'm here, I know I gotta do this. But no, see that God passionately loves his church, that Christ deeply loves his church so much that he would shed his blood for it and that God is making it into something beautiful. See that in the church. See the beauty of the church and let that cause you to love what God loves. Love the church. And finally, give yourself to the church. God's intended context for your discipleship is a local church. The central context for your discipleship is a local church. So give yourself to the local church. Go all in on community. So maybe you need to start. Jump into a gospel community. Be, be present in community. Be known by others. Some of you, maybe you've taken that first step and you've been showing up regularly and you're there, but now you need to start opening up your life the other people to see the real you and speak truth to you and walk alongside you. Embrace community and let it transform you. Maybe you need to step up and start discipling others. Again, Pastor Paul's going to talk, this, talk about this next week, but it's not just about us receiving. Our maturity happens as we give, as we do the work of ministry, as we disciple, as we serve. And so part of this is doing the work of ministry with other people. And so maybe God's calling you to serve, whether it's on a Sunday ministry team or serve someone in your gospel community or grab somebody that you know and start discipling them. Whatever it is, God's calling you into deeper ownership and responsibility because through that, he wants to mature you. Through engaging other people, God is gonna grow you in Christ. And so give yourself to the church that the power of Christ may transform you into a deeply mature disciple. So church, we have an amazing God. We have a God who loves us who's passionately for us, whose spirit is at work in this community, in this structure that he has given us. We need the local church. We need each other. And so let's give ourselves to this community that we may be transformed by God and that together we may go and proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen.